So guys, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles um, to 2 Timothy. And we're going to be reading from chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verses 3 to 9. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Heavenly Father, as Ross comes up to, to preach to us and to open up your word, Father, we just, we just consider what a great privilege it is um, that we have Ross with us, that we have your word. And so, uh, Father, we just pray that... Um, you can focus our minds and our hearts on, on the message that you have for us this morning. Uh, Father, we pray that we can be attentive and that we can be challenged, we can be encouraged. Whatever it is, whatever change you want to bring in us this morning, we, we pray that that change happens, Lord, through your word uh, and in your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ross. Uh, thank you, Dan. Let me, if I can, just take a moment to uh, mention a new book I've just got out. It's called Rise, Reimagining the Resurrection Life. And you can get that from Morling Press online, Morling College, or from your favourite uh, online book supplier or Kurong or whatever. I'll probably mention that in brief as I move through our message this morning. Let me just uh, say again what a privilege it is to be with you. Uh, I feel I have a special connection with Toongabi Baptist. As many of you would know, I played cricket for Toongabi Baptist for many years. I'm not sure many of you are in the team, uh, but the captain was a guy called Alan Rice, and uh, we had some glorious times. And so I've got a rich association with Toongabi, and I'm grateful that God has allowed me to preach here on a number of occasions. On Friday this week, I, I took the funeral uh, memorial service uh, for a guy called Bob Forrest. I'd already done the, uh, the service at the crematorium and then we gathered at Guy Mere Baptist Church. Bob Forrest was an extraordinary man and uh, he's one of those people you can rightly call a legend for all sorts of reasons. But one of the reasons that Bob stands out in the history of what's been happening at Guy Mere Baptist Church and in Christian ministry in our circumstances in Sydney and Australia, is Bob was the one who God gave the dream for Bikes for Bibles. And uh, maybe you've heard for Bikes for Bibles, uh, people ride their bikes sponsored, uh, normally from Sydney to Melbourne, and uh, the money, the profits, all of the proceeds go to the Bible Society for Bibles around the world. Now, when Bob started this uh, many years ago, when I was at Guy Mere, when Bob started this, he went to Tom Tressida, who was then the uh, 
the CEO of, of the Bible Society, and said, look, two or three of my mates want to ride our bikes to Melbourne. Is that okay? And Tom gave them a project, and they got sponsorship, and the three of them came back with $2,000. The next year, there was five, then 40 and 50. And by the time that Bob had finished his involvement for Bike for Bibles, which Scott had you know, laid on his heart and given him the vision, there are over 600 people riding from Sydney to Melbourne, and you're talking about millions coming into the Bible Society, and you're talking about 10 or 12 countries around the world picking up the same program. Extraordinary what happens when someone commits themselves to Jesus and follows the call upon their life. And I was able to share what, uh, very briefly, what I'm able to share with us today about what is the call to discipleship? What does discipleship look like? And why was Bob so effective? Because he heard this call and all of these areas of the call were very much a rich part of his life as they should be of our life. But if you're like me, you are COVID exhausted. I mean... I can't keep up with all the regulations. There's sing, no sing, mask here, mask there, not there. Uh, I mean, it's just an extraordinary period. And for example, uh, with the theological college, the Bible college, you can imagine we've been through incredible times. The schools have been trying to work out uh, live stream, how we operate and the like. And they're calling it COVID fatigue. Well, it's time to recharge. It's time to make sure that we are living out authentic discipleship for Jesus and what this discipleship looks like. And as we recharge, knowing that in God's strength, we have got this covered. So what does this look like? What are the three metaphors? What are the three models that uh, the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul gives us in 2 Timothy, the models that we should follow? Thanks, the next slide. What are the three models? Well, Paul initially says of his own life and the call to discipleship, one of the things we need to remember is that we are called to be soldiers. We're called to be soldiers. And if we're called to be soldiers, Paul says that means we are called to suffer. Suffering is part of our journey. He says soldiers know what it is to suffer. Soldiers know what it is to be in the trenches. Soldiers know what it is to experience the roller coaster of life. And so discipleship involves a calling to be a soldier, a calling to suffer. And suffering can take a variety of different forms. It could be physical suffering, and Paul certainly knew that, because as we read, he's now going off in chains. Paul is going off to prison Paul is going off to death. So suffering can be physical, and we look at our Lord Jesus Christ, we know that. But for many of us, suffering is most profound in other ways. It can be spiritual. Think about the sense of spiritual suffering of the Lord Jesus as he hung on the cross and cried out, my God, my God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes we can feel spiritually abandoned. But suffering can also be emotional. I think sometimes we forget that with respect to Jesus, in those last 
few hours, he went through six trials and each of them got it wrong and most of them were illegal. And now if you've been in court, if you've been in a situation where you've had to pursue justice of any form, you will know that that process is often more emotional and draining than any physical suffering you can go under. Jesus, Paul, knew all that form of suffering. Imagine the abandonment for Paul on his missionary journeys as you read it. Imagine the abandonment for Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. Where are the men? Where are the mates? Where are the people he's poured so much of his life into? They're hiding at his greatest need. As Martin Luther King said, who knew a lot of suffering, what we remember is not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Paul and Jesus knew what it was to suffer and be abandoned alone. And Paul says, you're a soldier. And he also goes and says, don't let that suffering entangle you. Of course, we take stock of what God has, God has called us to do. We take stock of the fact that life is a roller coaster. We take stock of all of the things that may have happened through COVID. We take stock of all our disappointments in life, but we don't let them become our story. Uh, Bob won't mind me sharing because it's public knowledge. Uh, Many years ago, his 19-year-old son was killed on a motorbike at Oran Park in a race. He's got two other sons. But I can share with you from my ministry with Bob shortly thereafter why the pain and the grief and the suffering was real. It never entangled him. He never left the call of God upon his life. He never stopped being a soldier. Just before he died, Bob couldn't speak. It was a very quick illness and he wrote on a piece of paper, gave it to his two sons. I'm tired. I want to go home to heaven and see my Robbie, his son and my God. We need people like that today. Carl Fays, who was the Minister of Guy here after me, said, uh, you know, Ross, uh, Bob had all sorts of talents, but I'll tell you what, you can do all sorts of evangelistic programs in your church. You can have all sorts of ministries, uh, and many of them are good at Toon Gabby Baptist Church. But if you have five Bob Forrest, 10, 15, 20, the church, the community, will never be the same again. It's about us. It's not programs, it's us. Jesus says, be a soldier. Take up your cross. That's where you find joy. But more, he says, be an athlete. So Paul's giving these kind of three metaphors that he loves. Discipleship is about being a soldier. It's about being an athlete. And he says, to be an athlete, you've got to know the rules. In other words, you've got to be focused on what it is to complete the race. You've got to know 
how hard it is, what the rules are, what's required of you. And you do it as an athlete. Back in those days, you had to train for about 10 months before you were allowed to compete in any of the equivalents of the Olympic Games. You just couldn't turn up and run. You had to be an athlete. You had to be disciplined in order that you could compete. So not only do we need to be a soldier, Jesus is calling today for athletes, disciplined, focused people who know what it is and what the cost is of competing. And they do the hard yards in that regard. Uh, that is a real call. I still remember someone who came through Walling College and uh, this guy was a very gifted teacher and preacher. I could see that as a student. He had skills that God could greatly use. And one day he came up to me and said, Ross, um, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed. I'm getting asked to speak in places I never thought I'd be asked to speak in churches and the like, and he said, I'm, I'm still a student. How do I keep humble? I thought I'd ask you. You speak around a bit. I said, well, mate, I'm the wrong person to ask because I don't see preaching in churches and the like as, you know, any big gold medal award. I just see that's what I do. <laughs> so you probably asked the wrong guy. Anyway, we went into chapel and they had a speaker from England that a couple of people brought over and he was doing the theological colleges around town. A nice guy, spoke well, but nothing particularly brilliant. And as the guy left the chapel, I made the mistake of turning to this guy and I said, hey, mate, think about this. They bring this bloke over to England to speak and he's not as good as you. Where are you going to end up? Oh, Ross, I wish you hadn't said that. Oh. He lasts about two or three years. Why? He was never disciplined. The congregation on Sunday mornings would tell me they didn't know he made it up in the shower on the way to church or whether it was one of those really well thought through sermons and messages that he put the hard yards into. There was a lack of consistency. He knew what it required to be a disciple of Jesus. He knew not only to have to be a soldier and to suffer and to take up your cross, but to be a soldier, to live a disciplined life. You know, what's it take to be a scripture teacher? What's it take to be a volunteer? What are the things we've got to do and put in place to do that well for the sake of the kingdom? By the way, that, that cry to volunteers is really important. Coming out of COVID, the American experience is, and I think it's going to be the same in Australia, there's a loss of about 60% volunteers in churches, and in voluntary organisations, 60%. So if God's called you this morning, and then he goes on. And by the way, discipline just doesn't mean, oh, you know, I've got to do all this planning and thinking, whatever. Discipline means, as Morling said, you're disciplined with respect to joy and family and rest and whatever. I don't want to give you the sake that discipline is you, you never leave your office and you map out what it means to be a volunteer or a pastor or whatever or to share the gospel. It also means to make sure you spend time with God and your family and the things that are important. We need that kind of life. And then Paul says, beyond that, I want you to be a farmer. And what's farmer? Hard yakka. 
in order that you can get a piece of the crop and the harvest. Hard yakka. Now, friends, we're coming out of COVID. We're coming out of fatigue. And I'm here this morning saying that what the Lord has laid on my heart is for Toongabby Baptist, we are recharged. We've got this covered because we will be the soldiers and the athletes and the farmers God has called us to be. And by the way, just in case we think that Paul's going to go soft on that, he goes on and says in verse 9, as I said already, and by the way, there's more suffering for me. I'm going to be in chains. But God's word can never be chained. And then in the middle of all of this comes this gem verse. If we go to the next slide, comes this gem verse. Write it down. Don't lose it. It's always been there. I discovered it a couple of weeks ago. You know, discovering a sense of, oh, yeah, you've read it, but oh, gee, God, thank you. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended, seed from David, seed literally from David, as preached in my gospel. In all of the cry to discipleship, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts our focus here on the person of Jesus. That's why this is true. This is why we can answer the challenge, not in our own strength, but in the sense of who Jesus is. And from this verse, I'm going to tell us briefly three things we need to remember. Paul is saying to us here, we can be confident in what he is sharing and declaring to us because, because this is God's gospel. This is God's truth to us at Toon Gabby today. Notice he says, as preached in my gospel. What's he mean by that? He says the same thing in Romans 2.16, as preached in my gospel. What does he mean by that? Go back to Romans 1, verses 1 to 4. My gospel is God's gospel. As preached in my gospel equals as preached in the gospel of God as given to me. That's the gospel I preach. This verse the scriptures, what we share today. The gospel is true, not because it's Ross Clifford's gospel, not because it's James' gospel, not because it's Dan's gospel, not because it's Bob Forrest's gospel, not because it's a Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever gospel. This is God's gospel. This is God's gospel. And it's true because it's God's gospel. Next slide, thanks, mate. It's true because it's God's gospel. Oh, that's right, thank you. It's true because it's God's gospel. But notice here, a really interesting thing, if we can dip into a bit of theology for a moment. Do you note what's happening here? Paul shares that this gospel is about fulfilment of prophecy. He is the seed of David. 
He is the answer to the call, one coming like David, as we read in the Psalms, and the Old Testament, the New Testament picks up, and he is risen. Now, every sermon basically in the book of Acts will have those two criteria. How do we know that this is the man we live and die for? Because he is the fulfillment of prophecy and we are witnesses to his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5. Jesus Christ died, buried, rose again for the forgiveness of sin and we were witnesses as he lists those who saw it, and he starts off by saying, according to the scriptures, fulfillment of prophecy, witnesses to the resurrection. You'll see the same in Romans 1, 1 to 4. It's obviously a creedal pattern. We could see that when we sang the creed this morning. It's a pattern. How do we know this is true? It is God's gospel, but it's a gospel that fulfills prophecy written hundreds of years before the person of Jesus Christ came into this earth and it is verified by the resurrection of Jesus to which the early church were witnesses. This is true. I may well have shared you that one of the results of being on radio, I used to give away a track called Resurrection Fact or Fiction and uh, a woman wrote to me and said, uh, Ross, could you please send me a few copies of that track? Let me briefly tell you your, my story. She said, my husband has dementia. Uh, he's had it for a couple of years. He's only in his 60s. Uh, he's now in a, a place where they are providing care for him and other dementia sufferers. It takes me an hour and a half to visit him by public transport and an hour and a half back. I go two or three times a week. Uh, the other day I was over there and he doesn't know who I am or doesn't appear to know who I am and the staff were saying to me, oh, wonderful, we've done some further tests on your husband and what we've discovered is he'll live, he's so well, he could live for another 20 years. I said, I can't cope. I can't cope. She said, Ross, my church gives me great hugs. This is what she wrote, gives me great hugs, very supportive. My husband was a Christian and so am I. I just need to be reminded that it's true. I'm empty. I just need to know it's true. It's true, all right. Not only is it true, it is something that we ourselves uh, experience in the recharge. Yes, we will be the, the disciple God's called me to be, because his message and his gospel is true, and also I experience it. Notice in this verse that Paul drops in, as he does in Romans, as he does in 1 Corinthians 15, as they do in the book of Acts, notice that what you've got is Jesus, both God and man. You see that? He's a descendant of David, seed of David, and he's risen from the dead. He is therefore both man and God. And one of the good reasons for doing theology, you'll know that basically every heresy, every counter-faith uh, of the Christian message 
that happened from the year dot right until now gets this wrong. They either have Jesus as just a good bloke or they have Jesus as some sort of God who's a mythological figure. But they miss either he is man or they miss either he is God. By the way, you go to Revelation 22, you'll see Jesus' final words to the church is, I'm both Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Isaiah 44, 6 says, they are only words that can be said of God and I am a descendant of David. Jesus finishes the scriptures with, I am both God and man. Here it is again. What does that mean for our experience? We're sinners. We fail. We're out of relationship with God. Jesus, as man, identified those sinless with our sin. He took the whole of the sin of the world upon himself. And as God, and as God alone could do, he covered our sin. The fact that the tomb is empty says there is no sin for those who believe in Jesus which is not covered. Nothing could hold him. Not even my darkest deed, which I repent of, could hold the risen Christ. When uh, Bob heard Amazing Grace just before his death, um, and they were playing it in the room, and uh, he was waving to Amazing Grace, and his uh, sons were saying to me, and when it got to save a wretch like me, he went, you want to join him? (laughs) He's got a man. He's got a man. Oh, the world wants that message today. But more than that, the actual translation here is he's risen. Not just the fact that he's risen. The sense in the Greek is he's risen. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen here. And what Paul is saying is we serve a risen Christ. He's here now. We're not the head of this church. The risen Christ is the head of the church. The risen Christ is the head of the Baptists or the Anglicans or whatever. The risen Christ. And because he's risen, that means he is with us every step of the day. Uh, I don't know whether some of you listen to Macca. He's about the best thing on radio these days. He's on every Sunday morning. I was listening to Macca and I'm travelling over here and only went off the road. As one caller rang in from somewhere or other and said... Uh, Macca, I'm somewhere, and oh, it was in Tasmania. And as the uh, sunrise, as the cloud and the water kind of come together on the horizon, the colour of blue is extraordinary. It is like I'm living between heaven and Eden. Yes, that's it. He is risen. Remember, I've shared this with you before, every gospel Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, on that Easter Sunday morning, every gospel begins with the words, the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb. Remember? The first day of the week. Check it out. Matthew 16, every gospel. And as the women go to the tomb, the gospel writers share it a little bit differently, but as the women go to the tomb, darkness is giving way to light. 
Genesis 1, on the first day of the week, darkness gives way to light. This is not just a time tag. It's the first day of the week because it's the first day of the new order. It's the first day of the covenant of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's the first day of Jesus Christ risen as Lord of history and Lord of his church. It is the first day of the week. It is the first day of the new creation. It's the first day of living between heaven and Eden. Why Eden? Well, that's what our book Rise is talking about. What's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What's our hope? How do we see this? Friends, go back to Genesis 1 and 2. See what marriage, friendship, work, relationships look like. Then understand the fall, rip that apart. Understand in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, we've got clean slates for what we've done to each other, our relationship with God, how we've operated community and world. We've got a clean slate. God has wiped it clean through his death and through the resurrection. He's writing on that slate again. He's writing marriage and work, and friendship, all the things that are important to live out the new Eden as we wait its final restoration in Jesus. Then finally, friends, this passage must leave you as it leaves me with a sense of awe. Here we are. What's being said is extraordinary. Paul's got those wonderful discipleship metaphors for us to guide us in our life, wherever God has placed us. And in the midst of that, he's reminded us of the truth and reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for him to be both God and man for us. And I think many of us need to go back to that empty tomb. Many of us need to go back and stand with the women at the, many, at the vacant tomb. Many of us need to go back to the Damascus Road and have a sense that this is awe and amazement and wonder as we sang. Mighty God. This is, as my grandkids would say, this is wow. Wow, wow, wow. Is the whale still there? Get recharged. We'll have it covered. Finally, in conclusion, if I can, there's a, an old uh, leader of the church in the first couple of hundred years by the name of Tertullian. And Tertullian was a great figure, a great defender of the Christian faith. People used to think that one of Tertullian's sayings was a little bit odd, and the saying was, I believe because it's absurd. We now know that that is not what Tullian said. When scholarship today goes back and looks at his writings, etc., we now know he basically said, I am certain it's impossible. What did he mean by that? I'm certain this is the life to live. I'm certain I'm going to be a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm certain that I'm going to be his athlete. I'm certain that I'm going to be his farmer. I'm certain that in my own way I'm going to fulfill his calling. I am certain because of that, of all of this. Why? Because this, this story without God being in charge of it is impossible. 
Wow, God, man, defeating death? Calling a church and a people unto himself? How could you not be certain? This could not be, this is not a Harry Potter myth. It leaves Harry Potter in the cold. This is just extraordinary. It's impossible without God. I'm certain. Turn, Gabby, you got it covered. We're ready for the recharge. God bless you as we go forward in his name.